Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm excited to bring yet another episode here for you on the show. And uh, we can't get into what tonight's episode's about until we bring in my co-host, Sam Bradley. And Sam, I um, know you've been um, doing a lot with, um, you have a house guest that's that came in from Florida and it seems like everybody's working out because he's been able to help you and you've been able to help him and it all works out. Yeah, it felt like the right thing to do. And, you know, he talks about how really bad it was there. They had no plumbing. They had no electricity. There's no food. I mean, worst case scenario. So I'm glad he chose to make the trip. And he really likes it in Colorado. So that's all good. But we couldn't do tonight's podcast without Dr. Joe Holly. Hi, Joe. Hey, guys. Good to talk to you again. I've missed you. We missed you. So we got a couple of things we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, we can start with your most recent deployment. Sure. Uh, so I had a couple of weeks in uh, sunny Florida um, with my buddy Ian. Uh, and uh, it, it, it actually turned out to be uh, quite an intense uh, deployment um, on really sort of multiple levels. Um, and we can we can address those as we go. Okay. Well, take it away. It's all you. Oh, all right. Well, that sounds great. So, um, I guess part of the uh, interesting part of where things were going is um, FEMA was able to get uh, a number of teams in the field prepositioned prior to potential landfall. As you guys will recall, the landfall um, took a different direction right at the end uh, and headed into Fort Myers Beach area. Um, really significant storm surge there. Um, I mean, an easy 20, 25 feet, uh, as I'm sure many of you have seen on the videos, et cetera. Um, severe damage to the barrier islands, which are fairly well populated. Uh, and, uh, you know, quite a few houses and that sort of stuff. There's some beautiful homes uh, located out on those islands. Uh, and then uh, Fort Myers Beach itself, which uh, took quite an impact of, uh, of store damage directly. So um, we were able to engage fairly quickly with um, many of the Florida teams, the state teams that were um, around the area. and. Um, uh, we were able to get to work fairly quickly. Um, interestingly enough, on this one, we had a, because of the large amount of destroyed structures, we really needed a very strong presence of search and rescue canines. So we ended up with about 45 FEMA certified canines in the field working, um, which is a a big chunk of those, you know, the numbers in the system altogether, uh, including my lovely wife, Kimberly, um, who uh, was down there for almost as long as I was, um, literally doing, uh, you know, house-to-house searches to ensure that uh, there were no rescues or recoveries to be made. Um, we were we were pretty challenged with um, access to many of the areas, again, the islands, uh, you know, pretty much all had one bridge in and out, uh, and those were 
damaged fairly significantly. So uh, lots of helicopter rides uh, to get us where we needed to go and to take a look at things. Uh, lots of uh, challenges, I think, from the the logistics side of things, just because the uh, uh, the area was pretty substantially impacted. Uh, transportation was difficult. It took a while to get um, cellular services up and running. Uh, lots of um, folks, uh, homeowners, et cetera, were um, eagerly trying to get back into their uh, to their properties to see the status of those properties. Um, the flooding damage was quite significant. Um, uh, certainly, you know, power, water, uh, all pretty substantially impacted. <coughs> Excuse me. I think um, one of the real issues was the tremendous amount of sand that ended up in many of the sewage drains and that kind of stuff, which, of course, blocked all the pipes up and meant the sewers all backed up. Uh, so a lot of really fun stuff like that. Um, the uh, a lot of territory to cover, uh, particularly because it was fairly isolated and densely populated, which is a little bit of an unusual combination. You know, usually you you expect if it's fairly remote, there's not going to be many people there. But when you get to, you know, Sanibel or Pine Island, that kind of stuff, there's quite a number of homes there and quite a quite a bit of territory to search. So uh, that kept that kept the task forces uh, busy uh, and actively engaged for, gosh, probably 12 days, I suppose, to clear all those uh, different areas there. So how many rescues do you think the teams did? Uh, I think it's probably in the, in the, tens uh you know i i don't have a great number i, I want to say 68 or something like that was a number that i heard it's a little difficult to ascertain that just because uh many of those obviously happened very early on and the uh chain of documentation was much more fragile then so it's difficult to have a good um a good sense of all that but i certainly read uh, quite a few reports and and had quite a few conversations uh, where um, folks were rescued, uh, particularly those who had decided to stay. Uh, there were quite a few stories of uh, folks who had lived there for a long time, um, whatever the prior hurricane uh, from many years ago, and I, I do not recall the name, but it was Donna. headed that direction. Uh, gosh, no, I, I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, you know, it turned out not to be nearly as bad as predicted. And so everybody said, well, that one wasn't too bad. So we figured this one wouldn't be too bad either. Um, unfortunately, they uh, they realized they were quite mistaken uh, in, in many cases. So, um, you know, that that led to a lot of folks who stayed not thinking it was going to be too bad or uh, realized that at the last minute the course had changed and the storm had strengthened and that you know, they were really in trouble. So. Yeah, that's you know. exactly what my friend was doing. Oh, I've, I've been through five different hurricanes. And I said, dude, this one is heading right over you. He was in Naples. Yeah. And yeah. I guess they caught the, 
the west side of the uh, eye wall as it came through, and it sat there for like 10 hours and just deluged them. So, yeah, yeah. And a week later, the thing That's... is, the water wasn't going down all that fast. So they weren't it, getting it... utilities restored or anything. Yeah, that that's true. As a matter of fact, even uh, even after two weeks, there were still a number of rivers that were uh, at or above flood stage and were actually still rising um, as the water was continuing to drain off. So I, I think the amount of rainfall that those areas took was, uh, you know, just astronomical. Jamie, thoughts? Joe, what was um, you know the impact for the the teams? Because um, you've seen you've seen th- um, other storms. Um, how did this match up to what you had seen, say, in the Florida Panhandle a few years back, or some of the other places that you've been for for hurricane um, situations? Well, this one was certainly uh, way up there in terms of the the amount of damage the the amount of uh, territory that was covered uh and particularly the the challenges with access um in many cases where you know again the the only way to get to some place was to get on a helicopter and fly uh or a boat uh so i think you know that kind of stuff was very stressful for the teams i think that the supply chains and support for the teams were were under stress because of the quote unquote fairly remote locations, even though, you know, it was Fort Myers beach, but you know, if the bridge is out, then there's no other easy way to get there. So that, that made things, uh, I think particularly more challenging. Um, the weather wasn't too terrible. Um, there was, uh, a bit of COVID, um, that, that was, present not as significantly impactful as it has been in some of our prior deployments. Um, we certainly had concerns with uh, envenomations and misplaced um, wildlife, you know, et cetera, from alligators to snakes and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, we were lucky that we did not have any substantial issues there. Um, and I think also the um, we had some really amazing veterinary resources in the field uh, because of the uh, really large number of dogs that we uh, we had working there. Uh, one of the lo- largest deployments of canines that I can recall um, to uh, to a hurricane event. How many years <laughs> did uh, Kimberly bring? Uh, so Kimberly just had one. Uh, had Ed the the cadaver dog. Um, but there were several other team members that were also there with their dogs and then multiple, uh, resources from literally all over the country, um, that were brought in just because there was such a huge demand for, um, the talents of those dogs and handlers. It's scary to think, and I hadn't really thought about it of all those other, you know, snakes and wildlife and, and other critters that could come across their path. That's pretty scary stuff. So I'm glad you had vets on standby for that. Any more thoughts? Well, for sure. Go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say, you know, one of the things we were, of course, worried about is when you're when you're trying to get through a giant pile of debris that used to be a house, there's some delaying and stuff that has to go on. In many cases, 
you know, there'll be uh, food and, you know, uh, the stuff that was in the refrigerator and all that kind of stuff will be sort of buried underneath all that. And much of the wildlife in an effort to take care of itself will burrow itself in there to try to find the food. So, you know, as you're working through a big pile of debris, um, especially with canines, uh, you know, it's a big concern that you you pull something back and there's a, a critter of some shape that you did not anticipate. Uh, and, you know, we uh, we always have great concerns about our uh, canines being uh, bitten or uh, envenomated or whatever. Um, obviously, it's easy for them to get cut up. It was hot. And so, you know, they were they were uh, working hard from, uh, with, you know, pretty, pretty high heat stress and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of challenges for the dogs, they really rose to the occasion. So do your vets carry anti-venin and things like that for that specific area? Uh, the, the veterinarians don't, uh, we, we do have, uh, a system in place that includes the rapid access to Anvin. Most of the hospitals of Florida are pretty well equipped for that kind of stuff just because they're fairly common there. Um, and so, you know, if, if we needed to treat a task force member, we've actually got uh, direct access to uh, the uh, in, uh, toxicology response system there that handles envenomations and all that sort of stuff and can expedite uh, venom or antivenom whenever it's needed. Jamie? You know, just thinking about the fact that you had so many canines there and the way that, that you know, that was such a high percentage of, of your total resources in canine search resources. Um, is there any, was there any discussion about, you know, what would happen if you needed more for some reason? Like say there was another storm that came along and you know it, it, what's what's the process that you go through after the fact to look at resources and say do we need to bring up or train up more resources for for down the road yeah that's a great question jamie we we actually do look at things like that in our after action reports uh, which are you know focused on things we can improve on going forward uh, and that was certainly a topic of discussion um, what we don't, uh, at least didn't at the uh, in, in real time, was have much uh, visibility on kind of the number of dogs that are in the pipeline, so to speak. Uh, there's a lot of dogs that are in training and simply awaiting a certification test to you know to be ready to go. Uh, I think that uh, there's probably uh, quite a large number of dogs that are out there, but, uh, you know, were not utilized simply because the handler was already out with another dog. Uh, and, you know, Mike could have been able to bring two, for example, you know, Kimberly could have potentially brought another dog along if, if uh, necessary. So a lot of the handlers have multiple dogs um, and that kind of stuff. So it, it is something that we have looked at and will continue better handle on so that we we know if it's uh you know is this uh the handler needs to bring both of their dogs or uh we need to make certain that we're offering or 
or performing is probably a better word, not offering the certification exams for the dogs to uh, get certified to be good enough to be a FEMA dog, um, you know, so that those those credentials are uh, more rapidly accessible to dogs that are ready to go, as opposed to somebody waiting for, you know, four months before the next test comes up. Uh, maybe we need to have those more frequently. That makes a lot of sense. What, what a good way to certify them when they're actually in the field doing their thing. Uh, you know, this goes they, to show they, you. Like we said before. Sorry, Sam. I was just going to say the the okay. dogs that are in the, in the field would not be in the field unless they're certified. FEMA doesn't exactly. put any dog in the field that's not a certified dog. Ah, okay. Could would they do if if in a situation like that where they really needed more dogs, would they be able to certify them there and then send them in the field? I don't really think that's very possible. I, 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 I don't know that for certain, but certainly the testing process is not a small undertaking mm. and, um, you know, requires uh, uh, folks that really know what they're doing to ensure that the dogs are certified. Uh, and so I don't know that the process would move quickly enough to, to make it worth trying to figure out how to do it. <laughs> you uh, know, it yeah, just, it's, yeah to do one of those certification deals and uh, i mean it's an all day long deal that kind of stuff uh, it's 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 just a hard thing to sort of do as just in time certification or any of that sort of stuff in general it's going to be you know if you're if, if the dog's not certified then he's just not ready to go yeah and you don't want to take a chance on them getting injured or something like that well this this is a good example of you know as we said many times before every disaster is different Different resources, different challenges, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this one, uh, this one was was certainly different in many ways. Just uh, again, the issue with the dogs was probably one of the primary things, right? It was a much more uh, dog heavy event than we had seen in uh, in some past events. Jamie, any other thoughts on the deployment? Because I want to touch on a few few other things with Joe. I think we can move on. I, I, you know, we've we've talked a lot about Ian, and and this is a great perspective. It's some some other things we hadn't touched on already. So I appreciate Joe, you know, you sharing some of that with us. Yes, it's interesting. We've gotten several different perspectives, and Joe's is always a good one. So Joe, you know, since you were there in Florida, I heard you made a little pit stop at EMS World. What was going on there? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I literally, my uh, last day of uh, of my deployment had me back in Orlando, and I was literally scheduled to fly in there that same day to go to EMS World, um, which was, uh, uh, you know, taking place right there. So I, I worked it out that I was able to wrap up my official FEMA stuff and uh, still be able to make it for a couple of days of the EMS World Expo that was at the uh, Orlando Convention Center in Florida. Uh, it was great to see some old friends. It was great to see a, a really excellent turnout. Uh, I'm, I'm, I heard about 4,500 people attended. Um, I was not there for a very long period of time, but uh, uh, I did get in on some great uh, presentations and some great time in the vendor hall. 
uh, with uh, a really impressive number of uh, vendors there, uh, lots of interest and uh, great presentations. So uh, I, I think that's sort of been long overdue for EMS and it was really great to, to see that coming back around like it used to. Well, and it goes to show you a lot of other people missed it too, to have that kind of turnout. You know, maybe it, it, it's nice we're kind of get, getting at that point post-COVID that people aren't afraid to be together and good education can take place. Um, lastly, what's going on with Paragon? Well, we're, we're staying busy. One other thing I wanted to mention on the, the EMS World thing, uh, and one of the things I was lucky enough to be able to attend while I was there is um, the, uh, the Committee on Accreditation for Pre-Hospital Continuing Education, or CAPC, or CAPC, depending on how you want to say it, uh, that used to be known by a lot of folks as C-SBEAMS, um, it's now called CAPC or CAPC, uh, celebrated its 30th anniversary. And so I was uh, uh, pleased to be able to uh, be there as one of the board members, and uh, we had a great uh, celebration there with uh, a lot of folks that made Cape Sea what it is today. Uh, and uh, it was a really super nice event. Uh, I just wanted to put out a, um, uh, you know, a shout out to them for a wonderfully done event, and I'm I'm very proud to be part of the Cape Sea uh, board. And uh, I think the things that that Cape Sea does for continuing education are uh, incredibly valuable. Uh, as we move forward. So having said that, uh, Paragon is a CAPC accredited organization. Uh, and um, we have some interesting stuff coming up. We are, uh, we just finished a military-based uh, training course uh, just a couple of days ago uh, out in the Southwest of the U.S. And uh, coming up in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing uh, an uh, airway uh, research project. Um, folks may recall that um, uh, I've been involved in a research project looking at the use of supraglottic airways in cardiac arrest and trying to provide some insight as to which supraglottic airways tended to perform better than others. Uh, and we're going to reproduce some of that, most of that study, uh, utilizing the latest iterations of many of these supraglottic airways, really just to see if the, the changes over the last four or five years have continued to improve those and how they compare to um, in the tracheal tubes, et cetera, in uh, a cardiac arrest-based scenario. So we'll be doing some cadaveric research there, um, and uh, I'm very excited to get that get that moving. So that's coming up in just a couple of weeks for us. Cool, excellent. Well, you've done you've done that research for a long time, so it must be interesting to see how things are changing and how products are changing, and seeing what really works. Yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing the the differences now from uh, the earlier versions of some of these devices that we uh, used in the initial study, uh, and to see if uh, things are actually moving ahead as uh, I expect they are. But uh, you know, the data will tell us the story. 
Is Paragon looking forward to any more experiential things? Those are great. Uh, yeah, we we we're we're actually having some conversations around some active shooter stuff again. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> that's been you know more prevalent than we like all like to think. Um, and so there's some uh, potential activity going on there. Uh, and uh, the military stuff continues to uh, keep us active as well. Well, you definitely have your hands full. Jamie? No, it's great to hear, uh, like, uh, all the things that you're involved with, especially the, the research side of it, because I think that that's one of those things, just like the fact that so many of your educators from Paragon are actively involved with train with um field experience uh it's it's also great to know that there's the research that backs up the training as well that you provide and i think that that's something that's unique that you have both aspects of the training covered but from research and from the the field experience that you bring to the table Well, thanks, Jamie. We, you know, I, I'm a big believer in uh, the value of the research and the value of the experience, and really trying to bridge the gap from, you know, the science and the data to the field and practical application. Um, we actually uh, we we did a couple of additional studies regarding uh, our heads up CPR stuff. Uh, back about, oh gosh, it's probably been five or six weeks now uh, that I forgot to mention earlier, where we uh, incorporated um, some additional techniques to see if, uh, you know, the, the effects that that might have on uh, our cardiac arrest uh, model that we're utilizing. And uh, it looks very encouraging. So uh, I, I expect we're going to be trying to get that written up here pretty soon. We want to do it a couple of more times just to ensure that, you know, the data we're seeing is is legit. And uh, we'll hopefully have some additional uh, papers out on that pretty soon. Very cool. Um, do without Dr. Joe, Jamie? I, I don't know. I don't know. And I think that that that's, uh, leads perfectly into me saying that people should take advantage of the, the information that you can get from bringing Dr. Joe and the rest of the Paragon team into your system um, because this is why they provide such a unique training experience to the people that they bring in um, to their classes. So, Joe, where can people find out more about how you can customize something to exactly what they need um, based on their needs, their budget, their their everything? Well, all they got to do is give us a call. Uh, they can find us on the web at paragonmedicalgroup.com or on Facebook. We have a Paragon Medical Group Facebook page as well. Uh, and they can always reach us through the Disaster Podcast or the Disaster Podcast Facebook page. Sounds good. Sam, where can folks find you? Well, what Joe just said and social media under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11 and certainly in our Disaster Podcast group on Facebook. How about you, Jamie? Well, you can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations and, of course, over at our Facebook group. And I always like to point out and remind folks that in the Facebook group, most of our experts and guests that we have on the show are also at least uh, members of the Facebook group. So if you have a question from a particular episode, you can usually tag them in that question in the Facebook group and get a direct answer from them. If not them, tag Samurai and we'll track them down and get the answer for you. 
There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a good example. I mean, Joe's experiences are all pretty well amazing, but again, it, it shows us from what we've heard from him how different each of these disaster experiences are. So, and also the fact that, you know, maybe you should evacuate when you're told to evacuate because it's easy to get complacent when you've been through a number of hurricanes or whatever else. Lesson learned from Katrina. So be safe and be prepared. <laughs>